The Lord be with you. Our reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all and that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> For the homily, Father Michael asked me if I would say something, and that's uh, about confessions today. We know there's only one confessor, and often we have two. You might wonder, why don't they send more confessors sometimes? And it's because we're everywhere. We have a bunch of pe people out doing, because we're called upon to do all kinds of things. We try to cover here, and we get many, many requests to do other things. And where's Father Michael right now with the other second confessor? Anointing someone who's going to die. And so there's so much work to do, and so that's what happens, and that's why I'm the one that keeps the schedule, and I try to schedule everyone, uh, and, and, and sometimes then this is what happens. And so that's why. And he just wanted to know you to know that. <clears throat> This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will return in the same way you have seen him going into heaven. The ascension sometimes is a forgotten feast. It fits between the others. It's a necessary good that needs to occur. Uh, it fits, you know, it's not as big as Christmas or, or the coming of the Spirit, and certainly not as big as Easter. Is the Lord has to go back, right? It's a functional kind of feast, Yes. In our little rosary pamphlets we've been having for, for generations, the blue little, it says maybe it symbolizes hope, the hope that we'll have then to go and follow Christ. But of course, there's so much more that it means. I remember years ago, a few years ago in Portland, I was the pastor and the prior in Portland, Oregon at Holy Rosary, and I had a mass on ascension for a group of children and I think, oh, how am I going to explain this? So I said, um, you know, when it's hot, and you're with your brothers and sisters, and you're in the yard, and you want to throw in the sprinkler, but the, the hose isn't attached. What do you do? So that works. And they, oh, we go to the spigot, we go to the faucet, and, and screw it in. And I said, yes, 
That's exactly what happens. That's, that's what, uh, this is me trying to talk to kids. This is, this is exactly what happens when you, when the, the day when Jesus in the ascension, he goes to the Father and the source of all grace and of his love is, 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 is at the right hand of the Father and he screws in the hose. They did my best, you know. And so afterwards, one of the mothers comes and says, Father, that was the best Tom you've ever given. I was like, that was the best Tom I ever given? You were so clear. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing something wrong, you know? So maybe more than a better, more apt symbol than a hose is really than one that we're familiar with, a bridge. And we live next to, and sometimes some of us travel frequently over, one of the most beautiful bridges in the world. And we know that bridge was built in a time, uh, in a, in, it, makes, it makes it truly an architectural marvel. A, a conquering of, of, of nature without overwhelming it, and this beautiful, beautiful uh, example of the possibility of, of the ingenuity of the human person. It is then uh, finished, I think in the 1930s. It was begun at the same time, the two towers on each side. The southern side finished slightly earlier, the northern side finished second, and the bridge then is built. And that bridge, then, that is in sunlight, so radiant, and in sometimes totally obscured in a cloud, a fog, is there and guides us safely over one of the most dangerous channels in the world, really. And so we see here that there is a bridge builder, a greater bridge builder at work, the pontifex. Pontifex is a term that the church borrowed from the Roman Empire. It was a, belonged to the emperors. It was a priestly term. It meant physically bridge building as well as spiritual bridge building. And it was the one thing that the popes and also the bishops, and by extension, everybody in the church adopted it to themselves. Whenever we bridge between heaven and earth, between light and darkness, between good and evil, then we become this kind of Pontifex, we become a bridge builder. But the greatest bridge builder is Christ our Lord. This is what he did. This is why he came. All the other feasts I mentioned, it begins, he builds and finishes the southern tower of his great bridge. In the city side, if you might imagine, in the world side, he begins by the incarnation, by taking on human flesh and building something new. And he means to span by his life and his teaching, and he's taking on of human flesh, and is bringing then, then um, going to the cross and the tomb, and finally ascending into heaven, then to build this bridge. The bridge is the body, his own body, the body of Christ itself. It is the living stones, us, of the church. And it's priestly by nature. One of the aspects of the priesthood, the common priesthood and the ordained priesthood is this act of bridge building, connecting heaven and earth and working there to bring then that span into existence and keep it operating. Great doctor of the church, Dominican, St. Catherine of Siena, spoke at length about the bridge in the dialogues as well as her letters. And she says, Christ, the bridge, is of such a wide extent that it reaches from heaven to earth, a bridge 
raised up high from the earth, lifted high above life's thorns, and so steeped in the blood of the Son of God that souls enamored of him can cross over it, and passing through that cloud of the Holy Spirit can reach the bridegroom of Christ crucified. And we see this symbol in the bridge right here, from the city, from the world, if you will, crossing over, sometimes through, through a cloud, then the cloud it symbolizes, in some sense, we're always reminded of the Holy Spirit, and then passing then into those greener hills of the, the Marin headlands. But there, then, reminding us of that call, of the call that, that, uh, of Christ. Early in the morning, one of the things before, before our divine office, before our prayers of the friars here, before then even sometimes the alarm goes off, whatever, as we hear that call, that call of, that reminds us of Christ and the Good Shepherd, the, the foghorns in the morning. And sometimes, of course, in summer, we hear them in the afternoon as well. But ever calling us, calling us. The Lord has built this bridge. He has become the way, the truth, and the life. He has shown us the way. He has taught us the way. He is the way. And he asks us to, to, to traverse this bridge that he has made for us. And that is the first mystery of the ascension, that he has built and completed this bridge. He has completed the northern tower, if you will, in his ascension into heaven. The second part of the ascension is then Christ entering the Holy of Holies. Once a year in the temple in Jerusalem, the priests in great trepidation and, and preparation would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle water and blood upon the Ark of the Covenant. Once a year, and then you'd leave. Once a year. In the letter of the Hebrews, Jesus, Jesus is called the great high priest who enters the Holy and Holies once and for all. He, the one that returns to the Father, and he enters into the true and heavenly temple, and he goes in that place and he stays. And this is significant, because of all that we talk about with the arc then of, of salvation history, especially the life of our Lord, the earthly life of our Lord, what's different? Did Christ come and did he learn some stuff along the way and have something to tell the Father about what he saw down below? Did he, did he change? Did he, now he, he was divine, now he's human too? None of these things, right? None of them. In all that the Lord does, in his mercy, in his salvation, he does not change. God cannot change. God cannot become more loving. He is love. God cannot become more true. He is truth. He cannot discover more truth along the way. Again, source of truth. He is unchangeable. He is one. He is perfect and he is compassionate. There's no changing that. What changes in the incarnation and the death and resurrection and in the ascension is humanity, is us. We change. He brings dignity, divine dignity, to us in the mystery of humanity. His love, he transforms us, he changes us. And it's because he becomes one of us, then he gives us a hope we did not have the hope, the despair that we inherit from our first parents. How are we going to cross this chasm? How are we going to cross this strait? We cannot. It is closed. But the Lord builds a bridge and reopens that gate. And not to the old destination of Eden, but a new one, the heavenly Jerusalem. So the Lord, then, provides this way and shows us, then, not only what to do, but brings us above the cherubim and seraphim and the angels brings us to a place to the right of the Father. That's the change today and that is what we celebrate that humanity not by our dignity 
but by his, by his and his love has brought us to the right hand of the Father. And that's why this is a mystery of hope. There's more, though. There's a third element. You notice that in Scripture, especially, there's several versions of the ascension in, in the Gospels. The Lord doesn't simply let the mystery sit. There's something always associated around the ascension. And in the Gospel we hear uh, during this, this year of year A, that he says, he approached them and says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me, baptizing them. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There is an ongoing opportunity for God to be revealed in the hearts of others. The Second Vatican Council reminds us in its, in its, in its uh, document on, on, on divine revelation, it says the work of Christ, the work by his death, by his resurrection, by his glorious ascension, and by sending the Holy Spirit, having been lifted up from the earth, draws all people to himself, he who alone has the words of eternal life. And this mystery has not been manifest to other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets in the Holy Spirit that we might preach the gospel and stir up faith in Jesus Christ our Lord and gather together the church. The Lord at the ascension and at Pentecost that we celebrate next week always sends us forth to do something. Because we can let the ascend, we can look at Christ goes to the Father. He invites us to cross that bridge, but the work is not over. When the Lord completes the bridge to the side of the Father, he will then send, after nine days, the Spirit back across the bridge. He'll send it as if, as, as if he's sending uh, um, then the, the electricity, power of sorts, to, to illumine the bridge and illumine us to give us then the strength to light the way and to light then us from within by this gift of the Spirit. So this is important. And then, what does he do? Is it, are we done? Is he done? No. The work is not done. We know that this bridge, was it completed in the 30s and we just left it? Didn't have to do anything else? No. We all know that's one of the things about the Golden Gate Bridge that, um, that 350 plus days a year, people are working on it, repairing it, painting it, working to make it still stand, improving it, building that bridge. We can see an analogy here because the Lord always calls us to build up his church. And as St. Paul says, to, to supply for what's lacking in the body of Christ, not the Lord, the body of Christ, the church, and to build it up. We are all called to build the church in this way. And we hear that, even after, we, you know, after many generations, we hear that, many years. What do we say? Build up the church. We'll go back. Just the, simple, the simplest way. Remember, um, remember St. Francis of Assisi. Here's the voice. Francis, build my church. Rebuild my church. And of course, Francis takes it literally like we often do. Okay, well, rebuild the church. We mean physically, right? We could. Do we mean the hierarchy? What do we mean? In, in, in the institutional structure? Yeah, now that will fall along to what's really important. 
When we build up the church, we mean the spiritual edifice. We mean us. When we build up the church, you want to build a church? Sometimes it means giving to the church. Sometimes it means supporting the poor, visiting the sick. It means then living our life in a virtuous way. It means living our vocation with hope and knowing that even the mundane task of whatever it might be, that comes from God and it's a moment then that we can give to him. Even our coffee can become a way that we can adore God. The struggles we have, that we can look and seek God and we say, Lord, I'm so frustrated now, but I know you're here, help me, or I'm afraid. That's a way to rebuild the church and repair the bridge that we are. We never can lose those opportunities to, to receive God's grace, ever. Though you see, he's already in your life. God has come into our midst, and he says, I want to make everything holy. Can we do that? Can we give those moments to the Lord and see him in our midst? I know there's a lot of times where a lot of us say, this world's so busy, and I like to just go pray. There's a time for that too, but let us not miss the other times. Because all of us are called to the different roles in which we support that bridge. On the bridge, there are painters, and there's the people who move the cones, and, and there's the engineers, and there's the people who repair the roads, and there's the voice of the foghorn themselves. And we all share in those missions. Some of us are the concrete, the bottom of the tower, holding it all together by our prayer and our offering of our, maybe our illnesses, whatever it might be. We all have this role to build up the church and to call others to be the light, to be the signage that says and points the way of the bridge and says, this is the sure way. This is the way, the truth, and the life across the bridge that Christ built with his own body. And we don't have to, to try to cross the water and the dangers there, but we can cross the bridge of life, the bridge that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is the Lord sent the Holy Spirit upon us and asked us to complete this bridge. Now one day, in the end, he will return, as he said. He will return and come back across the bridge and, ra and draw it back to himself. And when will that day come? He'll come, we don't know. It could, it, he could come this afternoon. He could come in 10,000 years. The Lord, in a profound mystery, says, I don't know. Only the Father knows. When will it end? When will his work be complete and our work with him? When the last sheep, the last soul, the last person that he has called to himself and has responded to, his, to the shepherd's voice, when that last person crosses over, you know, Revelation says this is 144,000, or though maybe it will be the 144 million, or the 144 billion. We don't know. Only the Father knows. And when that last person crosses over the bridge that is his body into the heavenly Jerusalem, then the Lord will return and draw all things to himself, coming back in the same way as we saw him going up into heaven. And there then is that true hope in him, rooted in him, because on Ascension Day, he built the bridge to salvation and eternal life.